0: Matthew 5, so we're here, uh, this is the Lord's Sermon on the Mount. Um, it's a pretty lengthy sermon and he covers all manner of doctrines and teachings and takes the law of God and uh, as man typically does, man it give it a natural meaning and a natural interpretation and the Lord's bringing it back to as God meant it in the beginning. Given us the spiritual, the natural, all to it. um, We'll look in the end of chapter 5, beginning in verse 43, if you'd like to read with us. Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same. And if you salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so. Be ye therefore perfect as your Father which is in heaven... Is perfect. So that's all we'll read. Uh, You think about this, and maybe we can apply this to a lot of different things we see in the New Testament. But the Lord in the New Testament, He never tells us to do something that's not rooted in a work that He's already done for His church. Now this commandment to love, it's no different than the rest. God has done a work for us and therefore He expects us to show the same work uh, in a picture as His people that's been the recipient of His good. You know the law, uh, He says in John chapter 1, the law came by Moses. The law was do this, don't do that. Eat this, don't eat that. Uh, uh, do this ways, talk like this and don't <coughs> talk like that. And... There was no no grace in the law that would cause me to keep it. It was just uh, regulations and man in his natural state, he's unable to keep that. But the New Testament is, is more than just law, grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. And so it's in that grace that the church is able to live and navigate this life and live in a manner that could show what God has done for the church. So he says here, you've heard that it has been said, thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. So it sounds like the way he's saying, this was a saying in amongst these people. We might say today, uh, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. You may say that in a lot of different ways. That's a saying. Well, here was one in their day. Love your friends, love your neighbor, and hate your enemy. And we know the commandment, the commandment on the wall right here, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, sums up the whole latter portion of the commandments. And so that commandment, he's taking it, and they said, well, we ought to love our neighbor. We ought to love them that do good to us, but our enemies, we ought to despise them, and not desire any good for them. Well, the Lord says that, I say unto you, love your enemies. Now I want you to listen to uh, uh, what he commands. Bless them that would curse you. Do good to them that hate you. Pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. We're, We're talking about hard stuff here. Because the nature of the flesh is to do to others like they do to us. It's to treat others as they treat us. It's to hate those that would hate. It's to cheat those that would cheat. But you know, the Lord Jesus Christ, we're going to get ahead of ourselves if we're not careful. So he says to show love to them, to pray for them uh, that, that the glory of God could be seen in your life. And he says, verse 45, that you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. So he says, do this that you might prove that you're the children of the Father in heaven. As the Father loves, so he expects you to love. Now, to me, you say, well, you ought to do these things. To me, that sounds unreasonable. In the flesh, it's unreasonable to be expected to love somebody that despises me. But is that not exactly how that... God loved. We would like to look at just a couple scriptures that would go along with this. In 1 Corinthians 13, the the charity chapter. And in the first couple of verses, the first three verses, he says, If I speak with the tongues of men, if I sell all my goods and give to the poor, if I've got all knowledge and understanding, if I would give my body to be burned, and have not charity, I'm nothing. This is the chiefest gift that there is to have. And without charity, all the other gifts are useless. And in the chapter before, he talks about those with the gift of speaking with tongues. And, you know, you could take that carnally if you'd like. But in this day, it wasn't like the United States. There were all manner of countries right there. There were all manner of languages And some people, God had given the gift to be able to speak with more than one language. Paul the Apostle was one that could speak with many tongues. And so he could speak to those that spoke English, Spanish, uh, Greek, whatever their language was. And that was a gift. But the Corinthians, they wanted these gifts of the Spirit to exalt themselves. Well, Paul's saying the most important gift is that we would have charity. And certainly charity is a great gift of God. But this is the charity that God had, the love that God had for those souls that He saved. Suffereth long, verse 4, 1 Corinthians 13. (coughs) Charity suffereth long, long long-spirited, to forbear, to put up with. So you think about the love of God now. And, you know, if, if we just held to the law of God and, and really let's just hold to those first two commandments that we ought to love God, we ought to uh, uh, to serve Him, He ought to be first above all things in our life and we ought not have any other gods before Him but God is the one that we love with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind and all of our strength. Now, if if we hold to those commandments, you tell me, How much God has had to put up with from us. Whether it be before that He done a work in us and saved us or after salvation, God has suffered long. And you know what's not ever changed? is His love and care for us. That though He has to put up with, and I I don't mean that to uh, to be silly, I guess, to say God's putting up with, But in our way of thinking, that's exactly what He does. He suffers long with our foolishness, with our hard-heartedness, with our self-willedness, when He reveals through the Word or by the Spirit what ought to be done. And we say, you know, I'm not willing to do that. I'm not willing to do what you've said, God. And you know, if it's one of my young'uns that say that to me, that's one thing. But for me to look at God Almighty and say, God, I'm not going to do what you've asked me to do here, what do you reckon I deserve for that? But God's never give what's deserved, has He? He's never brought swift justice on us. But His love has suffered long and is kind. Always caring, thoughtful, desiring the best for his children. Charity envieth not, boneth not itself, is not puffed up. So charity doesn't exalt itself above another and you think about puffed up, puffed up in, in pride of self... All of these things lead me to a place that I think less of you. I'm exalting me and I'm lowering you down. You know, God, His work and His favor towards His church is always for our good. He sent the Lord Jesus Christ while we were in sin and while we were in rebellion and Jesus humbled Himself to death, even the death of the cross that we would be brought into the family of God, that our sins could be done away with, that we could receive His righteousness, that we could be forgiven, that we could be adopted, and that we could be in the family of God. And now listen, if He saved us and we live perfect after that, that'd be one thing. But God, we're so far from perfect. I mean, if you're honest, if you're sober-minded about what you really are, You tell me God is in it just for Himself and there's no care for you. If God wanted to be exalted, He could do us just exactly like He did Pharaoh. He could let us rebel, harden our heart, and destroy us and still receive glory out of us. And yet God is merciful. His love is kind. His love is not about itself, but it's a giving love the Lord Jesus gave, He gave His body, He gave His life, He gave His heart, His soul on the cross to bring us into the family of God, the ultimate sacrifice. Doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not our own, is not easily provoked, and thinketh no evil. So the Lord, when, when they're mocking Him, and when they're spitting in His face, and they're punching Him in the face, and they're saying, if, if you're able, then why don't you deliver yourself from us? And they pluck his beard out, and, and they mock, and they make fun, and they laugh as he's on the cross. As he's there, and him with the power and the ability to call 12 legions of angels to deliver him from that place, did he do what was best for him in that situation? Did he? I mean, what would have been best for him would have been delivered from that. But no, he his charity, and this is for his people, his charity was giving of self. It was, as he says here, seeketh not her own. He wasn't seeking what was good for him, but he endured the cross, despising the shame and the torture and the suffering that he endured there. He bore that that we could receive the goodness of God through His sacrifice, is not easily provoked to sharpen alongside. His love is not easily provoked to anger. Now you think about not easily provoked. When there's real love, God is not easily provoked by my sin. Sins that I don't really know about Sins of ignorance, you could say. That would be one thing. But when I'm aware of what ought to be done, when I'm aware that I shouldn't do what I'm doing or say what I'm saying, when I do that, wouldn't you say if that was your youngin, that would provoke you? I believe it would. And yet, how often do we provoke... God with our actions and with our behavior. But the love of God is not easily provoked. Thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. So the love of God. Now, uh, just a quick offset, that last verse there. Our world today says love is acceptant and approving of everything that's coming and going in this world. But God's love is not like that. Because sin is destructive and because there is a judgment, it truly wouldn't be love if God just approved of everything with man undone and heading for destruction. God does not rejoice in iniquity, but He rejoices in the truth of the gospel. And God is, though man may say that gospel, that preaching, it's not loving. If it's the Word of God, there's no greater And no more love that could be shown the souls of mankind than to hear the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ who has given this charity. Now, no matter what work I do, if I've not received the gift of charity, if I've not received the love of God in salvation, then nothing I do matters. Though, as he says in verse 3, though I sell everything I've got and give to the poor or I give my body to be burned. Charity is the greatest gift. And it was unearned and unmerited that in Philippians now, as we have received the love of God, as God when we were in sin and when we were provoking Him, and even today as, we're, uh, as we sin and we fail and we provoke Him... God says, I'm not, I've not brought swift judgment. I've not destroyed you. Uh, you can see my long suffering. You can see my mercy. You can see my love. And as I've loved you, I expect you to show the same love to them that you're round about. Uh, you, you remember that parable that the Lord gives uh, in the Gospels where that man's forgiven of that great sum of money. He asks for mercy and he's forgiven of his master and then that same man goes out and he's got a man that owes him a much less sum of money and he's unwilling to forgive that man. And the Lord says, cast him in prison. Now what made that Lord that forgave, what made him angry? I showed you far greater mercy and you wouldn't turn and show your fellow man the same mercy that you received. So what Jesus is saying here is you you show this love, you love your enemies and those that would despitefully use you that you could reflect the love that God has shown you. And all of this love now, it's wound up in the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says it this way, Philippians chapter 2, If there therefore be any consolation, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any... Uh, bows and mercies if God has blessed you if you have been shown love if you have been shown long suffering if you've received mercy when mercy was given to you if you received the goodness of God when you were hateful towards God if when you have done wrong God has been long suffering with you then I expect you to be long suffering with your fellow man especially with them of the household of faith, but with them of the world as well, even those that are our enemies. (coughs) Has God shown us goodness? He's going to go on to say here, let this mind be in you, which also was in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. It uh, It wasn't a cheat. It wasn't a lie. It wasn't a short change for Jesus to be called God. He was God, wasn't He? God made flesh and dwelling among us. But you know what He did? He emptied Himself of that glory. He emptied Himself of His reputation and He made of Himself of no reputation. In the eyes of man, you know what the Lord was? He was a man that was born to a woman before she was married, out of wedlock, He was a poor man. He was a carpenter. He was uneducated. They said, it's not this, the carpenter's son. How does he know these things? He emptied himself of his glory and of his reputation. And he came down to the form of a servant. That there in the upper room, and Judas Iscariot was there in the upper room when the Lord Jesus girded himself with a towel and he washed the disciples' feet. He washed Judas' feet as well. Showing his servitude, he came to be a servant unto us. The Lord of heaven and earth, the one that the world was created by him, And for him, the one who had all power in heaven and in earth, he came down and became a servant. Now, not to serve me supper, but he came down to give his life on the cross of Calvary that we could be brought in. He's going to say he humbled himself even unto death. But not just a heart attack, even the suffering death of the cross. So the Lord came down. And was made to be, now think, he was made to be a man born of an unmarried woman that they said he's born out of wedlock. His parents and him, they're sinners. He had nothing. He said in one place the Son of Man hath nowhere to lay his head. The foxes have holes and the birds have nests. He came down, he was poor. He was a servant during his life. He came down and He he came down even to the death of the cross and He gave Himself there and all of that was that we could receive the salvation of God through His sacrifice. Outside of Him coming down and being made of no reputation, there's no salvation for us. We received that all because He emptied Himself and became as nothing. And even in death, He was considered a malefactor, a criminal, a lawbreaker. There he was hanging between two thieves, two malefactors, hanging just like every other criminal in that day, uh, enduring the punishment of death like someone that had done some great evil and yet he didn't defend himself. He didn't give a defense. You know what he did? He went as a lamb to the slaughter. He was quiet. He was dumb. And he went there that you and I could receive deliverance through his blood. My God, what love that in the face of mocking and hatred and despising. You know what all that was? I believe it's said backwards sometimes that the devil was doing the crucifying. The devil was trying to kill him. But we know by the Scripture, Peter says in Acts, that Jesus was delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. That was God's plan that Jesus be crucified. You know what the devil was working to do with all that mocking, with all that torture, to get Jesus to come down? It would have pleased the devil had the Lord come down and not been our sacrifice. Because had He done that, we'd have been hopelessly lost. But ain't you glad that the Lord emptied Himself of everything? He didn't just empty His pocketbook He didn't just empty his bank account. He didn't just sell his house to help us pay our bills. But he came down even to the death of the cross and gave everything that he possibly could that our sins could be forgiven and that we could be born again. What greater love is there? Jesus said, what greater love is this than a man give his life for his friends and here's the Lord Jesus on the cross giving his own self for our sins. There is no greater love. There's no greater sacrifice. The Lord has shown us in Jesus the greatest love that's ever been on the face of the earth. You want to know a love story? The love story of God the Father with His church that extends back even before the foundation of the world. They were chosen in Jesus Christ and God said, I'm going to send my Son for them. And the Son, not forced, not forced, Had he been forced, it would have been a totally different story. But Jesus said, I can get out of this. And he told Pilate. Pilate said, don't you know I've got the power? I've got the power to release you or to crucify you. And Jesus said, you'd have no power at all over me if it weren't given you from heaven. Oh, he could have got down. He could have escaped that suffering. And yet, he endured the cross why would he do such a thing? That we could receive the gift and the goodness of God. So, as we have received this love, maybe one more place in the Old Testament, just along this lines. Now, Judah has sinned and God has brought judgment on the nation of Judah. This is 2 Chronicles 28 Israel has come and and there's been a great slaughter. There's been a a great victory by Israel over Judah because of their sin. And God says in verse number 9, A prophet of the Lord was there whose name was Obed. He went out before the host that came to Samaria and said, Behold, the Lord God of your fathers was wroth with Judah. He hath delivered them into your hand. Ye have slain them in a rage that reacheth up to heaven. And now you purpose to keep under the children of Judah and Jerusalem for bondmen and bondwomen unto you. But are there not with you, even with you, sins against the Lord your God? So what's he saying? He says, look, God's allowed you to have this victory because he was punishing Judah for their sins. But now what you're doing is you've won this great victory and you're wanting to take all their people back and make them be servants unto you and unto your people. But he says, do you not have sins? Could God not bring this same punishment on you as well? So he's calling them to mind that just as God has punished others... Could he not do us as well? Are we not worthy of judgment for what little we've thought of God in the last year? And so he says here that you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. What does he expect out of his church? He is that he's saved, that he's washed that he gave himself for, that he illuminated to their sin, and that he's uh, resurrected and made new creatures out of them. What does he expect out of those folks? That as they have received the goodness and mercy of God, and again, uh, this can't be stressed enough, it was not received because we loved God. God did not love us because I loved him, First John tells us, that he, we love him because he first loved us. And so any affection that I have for God, it's springing it's up from the love that he had for me, for me when I was in sin, when I was in rebellion against him. So he's saying if if you've received that goodness, if you've received that love, then you ought to be the children of your father. As your father has done for you, he expects you to do for those round about us. It's a picture. It's a parable. Now I want you to think of this in John. In John he says, How can you love your brother whom you hath seen? Or how can you hate your brother whom you hath seen and love God whom you've not? Is that possible? By the Word of God, it's not possible. It's not possible that I would despise one of the brethren and still love God. Because love for God and love for man, they go right together. What I feel about you is a reflection of how I feel about God. Do you believe that? That's what the Bible would teach and so that you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his Son to rise on the evil, the good, sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. You know, the good and the evil have enjoyed a good day today. There's been good people that's been blessed with a wonderful day in the Lord. There's been evil people that have been blessed with a wonderful day in the Lord. There's been good people that suffered today. There's been evil people that's suffered today. Such is the nature of this life. And so as God is mindful, not just of those that love Him, not just of those that saved, but as He's merciful to those that are wicked, He expects us to be merciful to those that He allows us to live round about. For if you love them that love you, what have you done? If you only love people... That show love to you. Have you done anything special? He's gonna say, Do not the publicans do the same? Now, in this day, the publican was a Jew that was a tax collector for the Roman government. And the Jews looked at them as the greatest of sinners because they had betrayed their nation for Rome and they were taking the money of their nation for Rome, and for themselves. They were the lowest of the low in the eyes of the Jewish religion. And Jesus said even the, the lowest of the low, they love them that love themselves. They love them. So really, if we only love those that are good to us, we've done nothing better than what a wicked, degenerate, a rebellious world towards God does. You know what God wants out of His church? That we live radically different than a world that's unregenerate. Should, is that something that uh, it is so unreasonable that here's a man that like we read this morning in Ephesians 2, a man that's still dead in trespasses and sins, a man that's blinded and under the power of the devil, a man that's following the natural course of this world, is there anything wrong with the fact that a man that's been saved, received the grace of God, indwelled by the Spirit, and received the goodness of God, Should that man live different than the other? (coughs) Wouldn't you expect that to be? That a man that's been saved and changed and God's shown mercy, should his behavior not be different from one that's under the power of the devil? There's no argument there. Absolutely it ought to be different. And so you be as your father... For if you love them which love you. I've told this to my boys, and I, I believe this is true. The easiest reaction is to fight back. That when you're mistreated, the easiest reaction is to fight. And among men, that's the mighty men there. The ones that fight back. The ones that won't put up with anything. But you know what really takes power is to love when you're hated. The world can fight back. The world can be hateful, one with another. The world can mistreat. And the world can be wicked. But what shows what a real man and a real woman of God is, is that when they're hated, they still love. They're still merciful. They're still up because that is against the nature of our flesh. That goes against the course of this world. As God has delivered us from worldliness, we ought to live separate from worldliness. He's looking for there to be a difference in His people from the rest of the world. Do not even the publicans the same? And if you salute your brethren only to enfold in the arms is what that means. Do not even the publicans so? Don't the publicans salute their brethren? You ever been somewhere and they somebody won't speak to you? You know they've seen you. You know they've seen you wave and they ignore you. How's that feel? Does that aggravate you? So here, the Lord says the publicans, they do that. The publicans won't greet those that they don't like. But here's the church I expect you to salute, to enfold in the arms even them that despise you. I expect you to show love because when you despised me, When you would have been the one that was at the foot of the cross yelling, crucify him. When you would have been the one that was there saying, why don't you come down and save yourself if you're really the son of God. There he was giving himself for you. His arms was outstretched for you when you hated him. While you were yet sinners. You've received such wondrous love. God says, now show that love to a world that is loveless. Show that, wor- show that to a world that is still undone and under the power of Satan. Be you therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Now, sometimes we'll read that and we'll think, well, boy, that's out of reach. We can't do that. We might as well forget that. But you remember, don't take it literally. I, I recognize that we'll never be perfect in this world, in this flesh. I realize that. But I don't believe that's what he's commanding. But like Paul says, maybe in Philippians in the next chapter from where we read, Paul says, I press toward the mark for the calling of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what the picture is? It's a man that's in a race. Maybe he's getting down to the last stretch of the race and he's turning on all the energy and strength that he has left to get to that finish line as quickly as possible. That's the picture. And he says, "God's called me and I'm pressing, I am laboring, I am fighting, I am warring and all this is within ourselves. Though though we're hated on the outside, that love is and hatred for them, that's a warfare that's within us." And so he is striving to be like the Father and like the Son in this world. And though though I may never attain perfection, that doesn't mean that as a saved individual I should not press for the uh, course and, and try my very best to grow in grace and in love through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no way for man naturally to live like this. It's only through the grace of God within us. So how do we do? Well, we come to God. We pray. God, give us more grace. Help us to live ever closer to Thee, day by day. We're dependent on His power. At no point are we growed up enough in the faith that we strike out on our own and we're going to make our own name. But even the uh, Paul, he wanted. He said, "I desire to know the power of the resurrection." of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in my thinking, if there's anybody that ever had any knowledge of God and Jesus, it was Paul the apostle. And yet here he is, an aged apostle, writing uh, one of the 13 books of the Bible, and he says, I'd like to know more about him. I'd like to grow in my understanding. I'd like to press toward the mark and be more like Jesus tomorrow than I have been in times past. How are we going to do that? By seeking his grace. His strength and His help. Now the Lord was able to win the ultimate victory. He loved in a place that no man could love. He was gracious to a people that no man could ever be gracious to. And He plucked us out of the fire and out of judgment. He set us in His kingdom. Is it unreasonable now that He says, I have been so long suffering with you would you be long-suffering with your enemy? I've been so merciful with you. Would you be merciful with your enemy? I've shown you such great love and I've gave such great sacrifice for you. Would you show that same love and sacrifice for your enemy? And I I believe we've got a, a great picture in the book of Acts of why I should pray for my enemy. In the days of the early church... The greatest enemy, I won't say greatest, one of the greatest enemies of the church of Jesus Christ and of the gospel was a man named Saul of Tarsus. He was an enemy. They were afraid of him and he was breathing out threatenings and slaughterings He was there as they stoned Stephen. He despised the church and he went to the high priest and the Sanhedrin and he said, if you'll give me papers, I'll go down to Damascus and I'll arrest every one of them that I find down there and I'll bring them back here and we'll put them to death. We'll put an end to this. He was one of the chiefest enemies of the gospel. You know what the grace of God done to that man Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus with papers in hand, going to arrest. The grace of God appeared, and the greatest enemy of the gospel turned to the greatest apostle of the New Testament. So couldn't God do that as well? And maybe through our love, his grace might take effect in somebody's heart that's round about us. You can't say, I don't know whether that will happen or not. It, it might. That Can you see there that is Stephen and what a, what a gospel message that Stephen preaches there at the day of his trial. And as they grit their teeth and their anger rises up against Stephen for the message that he preached and they begin to throw stones at him and he's being pelted with stones. Now they're going to stone the man to death and he cries out, God forgive them. They know not what they do. And the grace of God, through that love, the grace of God, I believe, Paul's heart was pricked there. Now, he's going to get worse until the Lord appears and says, Why do you persecute me? He didn't think he was persecuting the Lord. It was this church that he was after. But the grace of God took the greatest enemy that the church had and made him the greatest apostle in that day. And God's power is able to do the same thing for those round about us as well. That through the church this love of God is seen in the community and maybe one of the greatest enemies could be delivered from their sin, could be changed and turned around and be the greatest friend that we ever have. The only reason we're here is because God has shown us mercy. If anybody else is going to be here, it's going to be because God's shown mercy. God is not asking too much of us that we show mercy as He has for us. And I, I I believe we could say it just like this. God doesn't expect you to do anything more than what He did for you. That's not unreasonable, is it?: That may not sound like much, but that is a mouthful. If I could I've heard Danny Little, I'm sure a lot of you know Danny Little, I've heard him say many times, "If I could be as good to the Lord as the Lord's been to me, I'd be satisfied. Will he ever be that? He'll never be that. But may we strive for that mark, that our lives might be more and more conformed to the image of the Son of God as we live, move, and have our being in this world.